Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Scran, a podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. As it's almost Valentine's Day, I'm going to speak to Chef Paul Wedgwood from Wedgwood the Restaurant about what he'll be cooking up for Valentine's and what people can expect when visiting his restaurant. I'm also in the studio today with Caitlin from the Edinburgh Evening News. Hi Caitlin. Hi again, Ros. <laughs> Hello. So... As I've said, it's Valentine's Day quite soon, which is one of those uh, days that either love or hate. Do you have any strong feelings either way on Valentine's Day? I don't have any particular feelings on Valentine's Day either way. I'm not in a relationship at the moment, but when I was, I didn't even celebrate it then. I think there's a lot of pressure on one day for couples to celebrate their love when uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. There can be lots of different times, places, reasons that people celebrate, but it doesn't necessarily need to be 14th of February. Yeah, and it's, I think a lot of things, there's a lot of money spent as well. It's not just like flowers and balloons and whatever. It's going out for these meals and they can be quite expensive and they probably will be pretty good Like if you pick the right place, but it might get booked up quite quickly. So, yeah, I'm the same. I've I've always been sort of not anti-Valentine's Day, but I wouldn't go out of my way. And I've actively said to my boyfriend, let's just not bother. Although we are going out on the 14th sort of inadvertently because I've got a voucher to spend. <laughs> so I am that person who's been really tight and going out for dinner and not really paying for it. So it'll be good. It's just the expectation around it all, I think. People build it up so much and it could be disappointing, I think, if you're if you're really looking forward to something that doesn't happen. What I always found as well was the uh, Marks and Spencer's Valentine's Day meal deal was brilliant. It was something like a starter, I mean, a side, a dessert, a bottle of wine and some chocolates and you could just treat yourself to that and have a really nice night in <laughs> stick it in your freezer yeah have it in a couple of weeks <laughs> i think i'm right well i think we both agree on that then caitlin thank you very much for coming in thanks for having me thanks Today we're live from the Office Cafe and I'm joined by Paul Wedgwood, chef and owner of Wedgwood Restaurant in Edinburgh. Paul champions local and seasonal produce and when it comes to Valentine's Day, I'm really keen to find out from him the key to a good romantic meal, how to cook well at home and how he sources his ingredients. Hello Paul. Hello. So as I mentioned, this week's episode is all about Valentine's Day um, and lots of couples will be out and about looking for good places to eat. As you work in the food industry, what components work for a good Valentine's Day meal? Um, for a good Valentine's Day meal, I think you've got to look for a place that has a really good ambiance. You know, you, you want to have a really sort of romantic evening together. Somewhere that uses really good ingredients, so, and again, so champions local produce. Yeah, so somewhere, so just a place that will give you a good night out. What can diners expect if they're coming to dine with you at Wedgwood especially on Valentine's weekend um, we, we're going to reduce our prices for the Valentine's Day, Day weekend for the taster menu so it makes it more accessible to everybody we make it slightly lighter um, and a little bit more fun and enjoyable obviously you cook every day at work <laughs> how will you be celebrating Valentine's Day and are you going to be cooking at home or do uh, you for Valentine's Day it's, it's obviously one of our, our busier busier evenings um, so myself and my wife will be there but we, we always 
we, we celebrate Valentine's like a week before or a week afterwards. We'll go away and have just a little a weekend together somewhere. And do you generally tend to pick like a sort of food-led destination or is that a bit of a workman's oh, holiday? No, always. Um, we will base all, nearly all of our holidays around restaurant reservations. We'll make the restaurant reservations first and then we'll book the flights and stuff to go with it. If people aren't venturing out and they're planning on cooking at home, what top three tips would you give them? Three tips would be to keep it simple. Don't do something you've not done before that could be overcomplicated and go horrendously wrong. Keep it light. You don't really want to suffer from indigestion on Valentine's Day and maybe something that's not too strong in flavour or smell. And what's your favourite dish to cook? Right now it's going to be anything with Scottish shellfish. I mean, we have the best shellfish in the world and, yeah, it's just beautiful. So any, anything with shellfish, scallops, langoustines. Are they seasonal or are they sort of available all, all year round? Yeah. Available all year round, mostly. If you were wanting to cook them at home, where would you where would you go and buy them? Because I feel like when people go to the supermarket, it's not necessarily like Scottish stuff. Yeah, we're, 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 we are blessed in Edinburgh to have a few really good fishmongers. You know, there's there's a couple in Stockbridge, there's one down in, Le- in in New Haven. You can choose and pick your fishmonger. There's some really good ones out there. I know this because I've done this with you, but um, you can tell from your website that you forage for ingredients and people can come out and do that with you. But what's your favourite time of the year and what do you most look forward to finding when you're out foraging? Almost at this time of year now, um, where you start getting all the brand new new growth, new shoots. One of the, it sounds sounds silly, but the, one of the probably the most thing I get excited about is when I f- see my very first nettle top, because that means the season's really starting in earnest and everything else is going to start coming up. And um, yeah, I think when you when you get the new growth things like lesser selling and ground elder, they taste just so amazing. And is that this time of the year? This the nettle top, yeah. Just now, yeah. So now I'm coming into spring. Because I feel like with that, people might think oh, autumn's quite good, but as spring is the time. Like another really good time yeah, to go. Yeah, I mean, autumn you have your berries and your mushrooms, but I'm more about yeah, the, the sort of greens and salads and herbs at the moment. Uh, how did you end up in Edinburgh and how did you end up opening and running the restaurant? Looking to open a restaurant in the, the, the town I was living at the, for down in England at the, at the time. And my parents were living up in Edinburgh and just through travelling up here to see them, I kind of fell in love with Edinburgh and then was just on a, on a night out random night out was on the Royal Mile and saw the for sale sign outside the restaurant we have today and long story short we we managed to secure it lost it and then it came back on the market a year later we got it and now it's wedged with the restaurant and did you in that time were you looking elsewhere or were you sort of hoping that it would no we'd we'd changed our mind and we just decided Edinburgh was was our place to to open and so luckily you managed to get the site you wanted (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> and obviously throughout Scotland the food and drink scene has changed quite a lot but how do you think it's changed specifically in Edinburgh over the years? When I suppose when I first started visiting Edinburgh there was a, just a two or three good restaurants that you've heard hear of places like Jackson's which is unfortunately now gone on a mile and then you know as the Edinburgh, as the sort of better restaurants started popping up and opening in Edinburgh and Edinburgh food scene started growing as did the Edinburgh tourism and also then we, we so more and more restaurants come and we're, we're now burgeoning we have we have a, a top class eatery on every corner now in edinburgh we're so lucky and do you feel like i know the tourism aspect of edinburgh can be a bit of a hot topic do you think it, it helps or hinders the food and drink scene i have a i have a blinkered view on it being on the royal mile i'm very lucky that i get to the tourist trade um 11 months a year and so i think i think the tourist trade really helps it from my point of view Obviously, you're running the restaurant, you're cooking in the restaurant. Is there anything that might surprise people about your job? 30 years in, I still love it and learn something every day. So there's something new every day. And you can't say that about every job. <laughs> <laughs> what is the most unusual place that your work has taken you to? Wow. 
I think I've been quite lucky with being a chef that makes his own haggis. It's sort of, I've been transported all around the world to make haggis from local animals. And so I've been out in Australia, Barbados, uh, I went to Italy. I think the best one was when I, went, I got taken to Peru and we made haggis from, it's called a cuy, which is kind of like a guinea pig, if you will, but not, it's like a wild animal, not, not like a little domesticated guinea pig as we would have. So yeah, we made a, a haggis, a guinea pig haggis in a restaurant in Peru, which was incredible. And is it quite uncommon for um, people to make their own haggis? Is it something that's generally bought into restaurants? Yeah. It's not something I've, I've seen or, um, and every, every chef that's been through my kitchen in the, in the 12 and a bit years that we've been open, I've shown each and every one of them how to make haggis and they've never made it before. So I, pres- I, I presume there's not many places making it at all. And is it quite, because I know there's perceptions of haggis, it's got a lot of like, you know, awful and things. Is it is it okay to make? It's not, I mean, you're a chef, obviously. Oh, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I absolutely adore it and I think it's fantastic. And, you know, I, I wax lyrical about it whenever I'm abroad because every, every sort of nation and country has something that's very similar to haggis. But it, but unfortunately, the Scottish haggis has a, has, a, has a bad reputation that, you know, it doesn't deserve. And things like that are all coming back into fashion. Like people are eating cuts of meat and things that they maybe weren't a few years ago. Oh, so certainly, yeah. Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're so much more conscious about... Uh, food wastage so you know we're, we're especially as chefs now we're, we're making sure that we're doing like top to tail on the whole the whole carcasses and animals has anyone um famous visited the restaurant oh wow um <laughs> literally too many people to to list but um to drop a few i think john cleese came three days running pierce brosnan was here two days running the a few weeks ago wow. the, the, the most famous person to me who and who we didn't like who we were full is i'm a big liverpool fan and Rafa Benitez came whilst he was a Liverpool manager and we were too busy, we were too full to actually be able to give him a table. So the worst, the worst thing ever for me. So did you send him somewhere else or were you just like... Oh. Yeah, we, we recommended him to just go up the, up the road. So um, what is, what's cooking this year at Wedgwood? What are your future plans? I've started last, last year and then this year I've started dealing direct with a couple of with some farmers um, and I'm really going to sort of push, really push the wild element now because I think... Foraging took this this huge thing where it was just everybody was doing it and it's starting to slow down a bit now and so I think I'm going to then start pushing it again because whilst it was really mainstream, you know, I just kept on going with it but um, I, I was one of the first champion in it, I think, around Edinburgh. So yeah, I'm going to push it back again. Because it's not something you'd associate with a city but I know that when I came with you, it's, you didn't drive that far to get to where you needed to go and it was actually a really nice walk as well, so... Yeah, it was nice to know that when you're in an urban area, you can still go out and do it. I can just walk down from my house to work a mile and I can just do 30, 40 uh, identifications on the way to work. You know, so it's I would, not that we'd pick them, but it's just it, it does grow everywhere. And once you know, then yeah, absolutely. That, you yeah, just you absolutely. see them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> There's like that identif- identification is transferable out into into the countryside. Okay, now, Paul, we're going to go on to the section of the podcast, which is desert island drams or drinks. Usually, if it's a whiskey drinker, I ask about drams, but would you prefer drams or drinks? Um, if I was on a desert island, probably drinks, because then I've got the choice. Okay, so if you could only take three drinks onto a desert island, what would they be and why? First one would be uh, the Glenlivet sparkling water. Absolutely incredible. Um, I've never had anything as refreshing. Would you, I drink it by the litre through service um, and yeah it's just a beautiful beautiful water second would be I don't know it's I, I, I suppose it would be right now the Kowroon gin a um, little bit of uh, pink lady pink apple in there um, nice tonic 
loads of ice again super refreshing and finally i'd take a whiskey and i suppose that would have to be at the moment the arbicky rye whiskey something really new and different or well, old and different and different that's uh, available now i've still got to try that one so come round, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a dram <laughs> thank you and the final section of the podcast is called my life and food which is a quick fire round of questions so i'll ask you them there's five uh, and if you just answer as quickly as you can first thing that comes to your heads and we'll see what your relationship is with food and drink so what food brings back childhood memories for you Chinese food. My dad used to cook incredible Chinese food. Oh, nice. If you had an hour to cook a meal for yourself now, what would you make? Uh, roast chicken. What's your food guilty pleasure? Terrible. Um, pickled onion, pickled onion monster munch and cheddar cheese sandwiches. Oh, nice combination. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a bar at 1am, what drink do you order? Like a, a smoky whiskey, old fashioned. And if you knew it was going to be your last ever meal, what would you have? Scallops, steak cheese. Thanks very much Paul, um, that was great tips for Valentine's Day cooking as well as if people want to go out and about which I think most people will, I know that I am <laughs> and to talking about your uh, restaurant and foraging which is always really interesting thank you very much. Thank you You can download Scran wherever you listen to your podcasts but for exclusive, interactive immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android If you like what you've heard, please rate and review Scran and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for The Scotsman. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following on Twitter where we are at Laudable Pods and Instagram by searching Laudable underscore podcasts.